sometime I need to get Brandon up here just to let you know all the things electronically that we do uh, for you. You can go on our website, which is, uh, is it Grace on Main? Is it still graceonmain.com? You can go on there, and all of our sermons are there, all the different... You can go on there and prayer requests. You can also go on there, different things. we also got one place on there where you can go, and it will guide you to different websites and different things about prophecy. Uh, we try to go through there and also pick out certain ones that we feel. We can't put them all on there, but we try to pick out ones that we really think uh, is very pertinent to uh, what uh, is going on in our life. You know, one of the things the Bible teaches us that we ought to pray for those people in leadership. And, uh, and, and, you know, we are, and boy, we're coming up with a real uh, important election that's coming up for President of the United States again. And we would never, uh, I'm never going to tell you how, to, I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. Uh, I'm going to, but we'll, we'll, during this time, we'll probably emphasize the things that we feel like the Bible teaches. And for me, I cannot vote for people that stand for certain things or want certain things that is, is against what the Bible says. Uh, but we're into, those, we're into that time, guys. And I believe, we, while we talk about the fact that we believe that Jesus is getting ready to come, and we believe that, we don't believe it'll be long, we believe it'll be soon. But by the same token, uh, boy, how we need to be standing and be ready and be at work you know, the Bible tells us simply the night is far spent and the days at hand. We need to be, as Christian people, taking a stand for Jesus. And I will tell you right now, when you do that and you stand on the Word, it won't be popular, and there will be those that will come against you in some ways, but that's okay. You know, Jesus said that when men shall revile you and persecute you for my name's sake, uh, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he says, for great is your reward in heaven. So we just need to, those things are pertinent, and so if you get on those websites, different things, we also got a discipleship uh, program on there, and right now I think we're up to about 21, 21 or 23. I, I, we tried to do all those, but, but we got a book that you can buy for like 4 or $5. If you wanted to do a, uh, a discipleship program on your own, you can buy the book for like 4 or $5, I think it is. Uh, we got them in the office, and then you can go online. You can do the lesson. As soon as you finish that lesson, you can go online, and I will teach that lesson that you have on there to you. We're trying to get them done. There's about 30 of them. And so we're, we're talking about, you know, that if you think about it, that's 15 hours. Really, it's more than that of uh, video and things that we've tried to do. But we're, we only like about seven uh, getting that done. When we finally get that done, uh, when I get enough time to get it all done, then we'll start doing some other things, different topics and things to put on there that you really feel pertinent. And so we're using, the, we're trying to use that media as much as we possibly can. But I still believe the greatest media that we have is word of mouth. And there are people that will come to church, not because you sent them an email or something else, but they will come to church because you took the time to get to know them and love on them a little bit and say, hey, we want you to come to be part of us. And this is what we've done. Well, I've, I've done five sermons thus far on the life of Jesus. And I've done one. And one of the first one we did, we talked about who Jesus was. And that he was not only a historical figure. Because we went and we showed you those men that lived. Not biblical people. But people that we don't even know whether they were Christian or not. But boy, we, we showed you four of those that talked about what happened to Jesus in that time. That was living in that time. Historians. 
And so they did that. Then we went to the Bible and we looked at what those people that were living at that time that walked with Jesus that wrote in the Bible what they said. And, and I'm telling you, he is, he is definitely a historical figure. John tells us that that which we have seen with our own eyes that we have held in our hands, that we've walked with and we've talked with, whatever. So Jesus is real, guys. He's real. And the things he said have come to pass. And the prophecies and the things that he predicted are coming to pass. And so we know that. Then we talked about what does Jesus think of you. And we, we told you simply that Jesus came for one reason, on a rescue mission, to rescue you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We talked about that. And then we talked about, we, we just talked about different things of who Christ was. Uh, we talked about that there's, you know, one of the, the big Things in the world as they, the, today says, oh, there's many ways to heaven. And we disproved that. We showed you that while there are different ways that people talk about of, of eternal, supposedly, what they think, what happens to you after they die, they do not lead to heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, a place that I, one of these days that I'm going to be able to go to and I'm going to be able to see him. I'm going to be able to see my mother and my dad and my all my people, my grandparents that's gone on before me. I'm going to see though we've had somewhere in the neighborhood, I forget how many people that have died that were part of this church. I'm going to be able to see them again. And that's the place I want to go to. I don't want to go to some place for nirvana or something else. I want to go someplace where I know that my Lord is going to be there and I can be with Him. And it's going to be just as real. I really believe it's going to be more realer, if that's a word. Realer. That's a new word. It's going to be more realer. <laughs> it's going to be more realer than what we're seeing here today. Amen. And really the Bible confirms that. It confirms the fact that, there, that the, what, what, we, what we see with our eyes is really not the real thing. But it's, it's the Holy Spirit and, and things. So anyway, so we've done all that. And I really, I was debated on to do this sermon or not, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so let me, let, let me give you a title of this sermon this morning. And the title of this sermon is Jesus, the Lion or the Lamb. But I feel like in honor to Him, I've got to do this. And so go with me, if you will, over to the book of Revelation. Go to chapter 5, and we're going to read 1 through 5, starting off, and then we'll get into some other verses here. Listen what this says. And I saw in, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne of the scroll, written inside, and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. Let's pray. Father, I pray simply tonight that you would be with us. Lord, we need you. We need you to explain this to us. We need you to take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart that it would be acceptable in thy sight for you're our strength and you're our redemption. You're our everything. Lord, I pray simply that you would just uh, guide and direct everything that's said here today. And may whatever we do, Father, bring glory and honor to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen. Uh, 
In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is told to go and stand on a mountain and wait for the presence of the Lord to go and pass by. And Scripture says that Elijah does that in a great and a powerful wind that tears this mountain apart and shatters the rocks. The question is, was that, God's arri- was that God's arrival? Is It tells us that it was not his arrival, uh, but, uh, but, it, but it was not for, for, God, for God was not in, not in the wind. And then it tells us that there came an earthquake hits, but again God was not in the earthquake. And if the wind and the earthquake wasn't enough, suddenly it tells us that there was a fire. I don't believe this was some kind of campfire, but rather an explosion of fire. But again, God wasn't in the fire. And instead, after the fire, Elijah heard a whisper. And the whisper was God. The whisper was God. Now, we know from Scripture that God can move mountains. And He can make the earth tremble and bring fire, an all-consuming fire. But He's also in the whisper. You see, I think part of the problem that we got in this culture that we're living in today is that we have noise continually. And I think that we've gotten so used to noise that we, some of us can't even have a quiet time without having something playing in the background. There's some of us that, uh, that some people that feel as if they're lonely if they don't have the boob tube on or the radio playing or something else. And so we, we've got all this noise in here. I love, to use to take the, I love to take kids out into the open, especially into the woods, and give them a piece of paper and just sit there and I say, now here's the rules. You can't say a word. I don't want you to say a single solitary word. And I want you to write down every single solitary sound that you can think of. And when we get back, we're going to find out who, who, who heard what. And all of a sudden, we come back and we heard somebody says, well, I heard a squirrel. You heard a squirrel? Where did you hear a squirrel? I heard nuts being cracked. I heard, heard this guy. I heard birds singing. I heard a bird chirping. I heard all this kind of stuff. And those kind of things I think we miss because we're so used to all this noise. And let me tell you something. You know the Bible says that, Jesus, that, that Satan is the god of the air? Well, what flows through the air? Do not radio waves flow through the air? Do not television waves flow through the air? Does not all these noise, all the music and everything else flow there? Now, obviously, there's some good things that come through there. But I'm telling you, if he's the God of this age, what's he going to try to do? He's going to try to just jam our head with all kinds of noise and things when what God needs us to do many times is be still, to be quiet for a while. And the Bible says, if we really want to know God, he says this, be still and know that I'm God. Be still for a while. So he wasn't, as Elijah stood there, he wasn't in this powerful wind. He wasn't in this powerful earthquake. He wasn't in that fire that he saw. Instead, he was in a whisper. He was in a whisper. And that's good because we need both. We need, we, need, we, need, we need both of this. We need the mighty arm of God. But you know what? There's times we need a gentle hand. How wonderful it is exactly, if that's because that's exactly who Jesus is. So the question that I want us to ponder this morning, as I read these scriptures here, and I can read Father, and we're going to see as we go a little bit farther, is Jesus a lion? The powerful lion, the strongest animal in the jungle. Is he a lion or is he a lamb? 
a defenseless lamb. One of the most defenseless, one of the most defenseless uh, uh, animals there is, is a lamb. So which is he? Is he a lion or is he, is he a lamb? And now to some, that would seem that he is contradictory. But we, we seeing he is the lion and the lamb, but how can he be both lion and lamb as the same thing? So is he A, a lion, B, a lamb, or the answer really is he is C. He's both. He's both. And we don't see that more powerful illustrated in scriptures than in Revelation 5. Now, God the Father is, is, seated, is telling this, and listen, he's seated on the throne, and listen to what it says in verse 1 and verse 2. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's God the Father. He's sitting on his throne, and he has in his hand, he has a scroll that's written inside, and on the back it's sealed with seven seals. It's sealed with seven seals. And verse 2 says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. And listen to what the angel says, because this affects you and it affects me. He says this, Who is worthy to open this scroll and lose its seals? God has a scroll in his hand. God the Father sitting on the throne. He has this scroll and in his hand. And your name and my name is on that scroll. And in that scroll is an unfolding of the final chapter of what we're going to see what God's plan is and what he's fixing to do. And the plan to demolish and put away sin and the devil forever is in that scroll. And to usher in the permanent rule and reign of Jesus Christ forever, the millennium. That we are a part of that, that what is in that scroll. The future of mankind is in that scroll. And here sits God with it on the throne. And he holds that scroll. And as he holds that scroll, there's an angel there. And the angel asks the question, who is worthy? Who is worthy? So whether or not it all plays out according to God's plan is all resting on one thing. Whether or not anybody, somebody can open that scroll. This is a historical fact. So there must be someone who can break the seals and let loose the purpose and the plan of God. Who can do that? And I want all of us to realize what a huge dilemma of heaven that this was. So in verse 2, the angel is proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break this seal? And then the Bible says in verse 3, And no one in heaven or in the earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, or to look at it. No one was able. Not a soul. Why is that? Because we've all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. There, there's none good, there's none that's righteous, there's none that seeketh after God, that's what it says. So we're all in the same boat. And as I look through, and I look through the Bible, I see men of God that, boy, we revere, men of God that we hold up. But think about it. It was Moses, and, and I almost could look at him and say, I understand how Moses got angry because the people made him so angry. You know, the first time they see, God told him when they needed water, he said, he said, just simply strike the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And once he struck the water, here come the water out. Well, after this time, they were complaining and griping to Moses, and they were saying, we have no water. And so what does God tell Moses to do? He tells him to speak to the rock. He tells him to speak to the rock. 
Instead, he's angry now, and the people have just pushed him to his final limit. So what's he do? Rather than speaking to the rock, what's he do? He strikes it again. You know what that's a sign of to us? It's the first is a sign of that once the rock has been struck, we don't have to strike it anymore. Once Jesus has died for all of our sins, well, he's done, it's over with. When he bowed his head on Calvary and said it's finished, it is finished. But because he disobeyed God, Moses was not allowed, even though he pleaded with God to let him go into the promised land, God would not allow Moses to go in there, so he was fallible. He was fallible. When I read about other men in the Bible that messed up, that did things. I, even Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and he was counted. But do you know Abraham lied twice? He lied because he went into two different places and, and there was Sarah with him and they asked, who is that? She said, well, tell them, tell them when we go in there, tell them you're my sister. I guarantee you that would have worked about one time when Cricket Cruz would have taken a lead skillet and hit me over the head if I told her something like that. Tell them, don't, tell them you're because he was afraid what they would do to him. They'd kill him to take her. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. And yet the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. How many times do we see people, see people lying? And we, we see Jacob, who later became Israel, how he put skins on and told his, told his father told her, his, his father that he was his brother Esau. We go on and on. We see other people that did things that, that we're all fallible. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. I don't care. Before you look down your nose at anybody else and look at somebody and say, I'm better than so-and-so. No, we've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. And James tells us this, says, If any man try to keep the whole law, but he break it in one point, he's guilty of the whole law. So before you say, I, I'm, I'm just better than anybody else, you better back up a little bit. You better come to the place and understand that the Bible says in Romans 1, there's none good, there's none righteous, there's none that seeketh after God. We're all in the same boat. The question is, are you willing to admit it? That's the question. See, I think that's what Psalm 66, 18 is talking about when it says, if we regard iniquity in the heart, the Lord won't hear us. God said, are you willing to see who you are? See, that was, the pro that was the problem. Remember the woman who came to Jesus? And she came to Jesus and she said, uh, uh, he wanted him to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, it's not right for me to take the food off the table and give it to the dogs. People said, boy, that was awful harsh of Jesus to say that. And, 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 and she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. And Jesus healed her daughter. You know, what was the problem there? She was trying to be somebody she was not. She tried to fake out like she was a Jew when she wasn't a Jew. And Jesus was trying to get her to come to the place that she would see who she really was. That's the first step. You know, I, I've said there's two battles in every Christian's life. Number one is, is seeing yourself the way God sees you before you get saved. That's the first one. That we come and we realize that we're unclean and we're undone. And once we're unclean and we see ourselves being unclean and undone, then God will take us right in if we surrender ourselves to Him. And you know where the second battle is? The second battle is, is after you come to Jesus, the second battle is, is now seeing yourself the way God sees you after you're saved. You know what that means? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we you quote this all the time. It says, For he who knew no sin became sin for us. Listen to this. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God now looks at you purer than a baby. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because anything you've done? No, not anything you've done. So 
The angel comes and he looks and he, he sees that is there anybody worthy who could open up this scroll that God has in his hand and no one was worthy. And he goes on and it tells us in verse 3, he says, And no one in heaven or earth or under heaven was able to open the scroll or look at it and listen what, at what the result of this was. And this ought to be the very thing in our heart that God looks at us to see whether or not we really believe what we believe. And John, in seeing this in Revelation, listen to what he says. He said, I wept much. I came to the place that I cried my eyes out because I knew what was going to happen. You know, I wonder, the Apostle Paul maybe felt that way in some degree. Because if you'll know, he says, my desire is for all Israel to be saved. And he even goes on to say that if he could, if it meant that he would be lost, that they would come to know Christ, he would do that. That's what he said. Oh, how, how cold we are sometimes when we look around us and we see all the things happening. When we see people that are dying day by day, moment by moment, and going out into eternity unprepared. And I see people come to me all the time or talk to me about funerals or other things. And when they come, I'm telling you many times when we talk about people, I'm so thankful when a family can look at me and tell me there was a time in that person's life that they came and they sat down and they gave their heart to Jesus and they asked Him to come in and they, re they repented of their sins and asked Christ to come in. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes I hear people look at me and say, well, we really don't know. We don't know whether they're saved or not. But I believe He really believed. What does that say? And you know what? I, w I wish people could understand and see how that leaves the family behind. It leaves them behind not knowing. Am I going to see my daddy in heaven again? Am I going to see my mother in heaven again? Am I going to see my sister in heaven again? Am I going to see my brother in heaven again? If you don't come to Jesus, if you don't get saved and get bound, get bound again and born again, if that doesn't happen, then the Bible says, all those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of sea, or the sea. The sea. You got to come. You know, and if, if, you know, these people say, well, that's that old time preaching. Well, if that's that old time preaching, then so be it. But you got to come. And Jesus said, except, remember that? John 14, he, it, we talked about how all these ways, but Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, uh, if any man, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Except by me. And so John says, I wept and I wept because no one, no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. No one. And John may, sees what is at stake. And he says, I wept and I wept because no one in heaven. So there was no one in heaven that could open up. No one on earth. No one under the earth. No one was there. And he's weeping and he's crying. But praise God today in verse 5. It says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll to lose its seven seal. Do you understand today what Jesus has done for you? Do we just pass it on like something else? When there are people in other places that for the first time get to hear the God. We sit under the gospel so much that we just say, we come in and we just simply say, Okay, preacher, bless me if you can. Try to, try to give me something new, preacher. Try to give me something other than the Word. Try to do something. Give me a little three points in a poem. And people just sit so satisfied many times without coming to the place of realization of what Christ has done for us. 
And so John is weeping, and one of the elders comes and says, Don't weep. He says, Look, see the line of the tribe of Judah? There he is. Our entire eternal destiny, your family's destiny, is bound up in the worthiness of someone who can take the scroll from the hand of the Almighty God, break the seals and open it and usher the death of death, uh, usher the death to death and the life in the in, in, in for uh, forevermore eternal life. And there's no one who can do it. There's only one person who can do it, and his name is Jesus, and he is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he is triumphed, and he has prevailed. And what does that mean? It means his death, burial, and resurrection. He has become worthy. He has become worthy to take the scroll and to break its seal and to open it. Jesus is the only one who can usher in the plan and the purpose of God forever. So when, when verse 5 says the line of the tribe of Judah, we need to understand what that means. We've got to go all the way back to, to uh, Genesis 49. And, and we'll go a little bit farther back to the patriarch Abraham. And, and, uh, and Abraham, the God, uh, it says Abraham, the God of Abraham. Then comes Isaac, and it says the God of Isaac. Then comes, then, then comes Jacob, and it says the God of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, of which 12 tribes of Israel came from. Jacob's fourth son was Judah. Uh, and, but listen, his fourth son, Judah, didn't like his 11th son. You've got to understand he had 12 sons, and all of them came from different mothers, like three, three different women, and all of them didn't like one another. They didn't like one another. And so when they didn't like one another, one day uh, uh, Jacob decided, or excuse me, Judah, uh, Jacob decided that he was going to send Joseph. Now, Joseph had a coat of many colors, didn't he? What did that coat of many colors say? It said he got to work in the house. You know, you cannot take your children and prefer one over the other. My children are as different as night and day. But I'm proud of all of them. And I'm proud how that they made a life for themselves. And I'm proud of what, who they are and the men and the women that they are. But you cannot take one child over the other. If you do, and so Jacob had done that, and he, he let all the rest of them know that, that Joseph was his preferred child. And then there was Benjamin, who was the twelfth one. And so one day he, he looks over to Joseph and says, go down there and check on his brother. I think what he was trying to do, he was trying to get them all back together. Maybe they were going to have that moment where they all sit around the campfire and sing, come by Yah, and everything's going to be all right. So Joseph goes down there, and, and they see him coming. Well, how did they know he was coming? Because he was wearing that stinking coat, that's what he was wearing, you know. You know, he's wearing that coat, and so they come, and, so, and they said, here comes the dreamer. Now, you've got to understand who Joseph was, because Joseph is about 18 years old. And I want you to go back and remember how you were when you were 18 years old, and all the things you did, and all the things you said. And, and so as a result of that, Joseph, he told him a dream. He said, listen, let me tell you fellas something. He says, I had this dream, and all you guys bowed down to me when they... And they all looked at him. We all bowed down. Now, he's already in trouble with them before. But all of y'all all bowed down to me. And his daddy even asked him, well, well I'm going to bow down to you. How arrogant Joseph was at this time. He said, yeah, you're going to bow down to me too, Pop. You're going to bow down. All y'all are going to bow down. So here he comes that stinking coat. And they looked at him and said, here comes that dreamer. He says, I know what let's do. Let's kill him. And they wanted to kill him. 
until one of them stepped in and said, no, we don't care. And they throwed him in a hole and kept him down there. And then they decided what they are going to do. They were going to stick him in a hole. And here comes some, some gypsies by, and they were going to sell him to him. And they sold him off, and God took him. And, and, and from that, Joseph goes all the way down to Egypt, and he gets hired, and he gets sold into a home of Potiphar. And so Potiphar's in there. Now, here's the thing. When you and so Potiphar, and of course his wife wants to play footsie with uh, Joseph because Joseph evidently is a pretty nice looking kid or whatever. And so what's he do? He runs from her, and she grabs a hold of his cloak and pulls. I believe if I was Joseph, I don't know. I believe I would look into nudity. I don't know whatever because every time he's wearing a coat or something, he gets in trouble or something like that. So so anyway, so so he grabs it and then he gets accused. He's got to go to prison. While he's in prison, there's guys have some dreams. The baker and the butler have a dream, and he interprets the dreams. One of his head's going to get cut off. The other one's going to be put back in his position. And, he, and, and God looks at Joseph, and he thinks, okay, I just about got him ready. But one of the one that he said, he put back to the butler, he told him, he said, now listen, says, when you get put back into your place, remember me. And God said, he's not ready. I'm gonna, see, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream two years after that. Listen, God could have had him had that dream two days or two minutes after that. But Joseph said, remember me. What's he doing? He's moving to trust in man rather than trust in God. God and he's not ready. So what's God do? After that, uh, Pharaoh has the dream and, and about the famine and things, and Joseph comes and and he says to him, he says simply, he said, I, nobody can interpret the dream. And so this guy, all of a sudden, the, the butler remembers that, that, uh, that this guy back in prison interpreted the dream. He gets him, wham, bam. He's second in command in Pharaoh, to Pharaoh. God took him through all that to elevate him to the place that he should be. But let me tell you something. The Bible says to Abraham, God already told Abraham, your people are going to sojourn in Egypt for 300 years. Not only are your people going to sojourn in Egypt for 300 years, but the Bible says in the book of Psalms that God sent a man ahead. How did he get him there? He got Joseph there by the sin of his brothers that put him in that hole. Now, does that mean they weren't responsible? No, he was, he was, they, they were still responsible. But by the same token, I'm saying to you, even though things happen in your life that you don't like and you don't want, listen, God will take those things many times and use them for what they intended for evil. God said, Joseph said, God intended for good. And that's what he's going to say. He's going to say that over, in the, because once, once Jacob dies, they said, boy, we're in trouble now because Joseph's got all this power, and here we are, and we all tried to kill him. He knows us, and he knows that. And listen to what Joseph, Joseph had him right there where we want. He's got all this power. What's Joseph say? He said, no, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But over in verse 49, here's what happens. In 49, verses 8 through, uh, verses 48 through 12, because Jacob is getting ready to die, and as Jacob gets ready to die, he calls all his sons in one by one, and he prays a blessing over them. And when he comes to his fourth son, 
Judah, here's what he prays over him. He said, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion, whelp, or cub. From the prey from my son you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion you shall rouse him. And listen to this, verse 10. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh basically is a reference to the Messiah's reign. Uh, Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey on the vine, and his donkey colt to the choice vine, and washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes, and his eyes were darker than wine, and his teeth whiter, whiter, whiter than than and, and milk. So so people so so here's what he, he comes to Judah, his son, and right before him, but also someone to come who closer to greater than his son. He's saying, Judah, this is for you, but there's some one in your lineage that's coming that's going to be greater than you is what's going to happen. And he's going to be a lion. People came from captivity or came from Egypt were divided now at this time into twelve tribes. And one of those tribes was the tribe of Judah. And when they finally, and when they finally entered the promised land, uh, and when they finally entered the promised land and the land was divided up, Judah was given a significant portion of land, including Jerusalem. When they moved into that allotted land, the first tribe to take the land was Judah. Judah was known by the emblem of the lion and the tribe of triumph and the royal power. So when you come to Matthew and look at the, the two books in the New Testament that has the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew because he is the coming king, and Luke because he, the, the one phrase in Luke is he is the son of man. And so as a result of that, to look at the genealogy, it is traced all the way back to the tribe of Judah. And God is saying in the context from Judah, who is a young lion, is going to come the lion who is Jesus. And Jesus will triumph over sin and death and hell and the grave, and he will roar out of the tomb by the voice of Almighty God. And he will hold, notice this, he will hold the scepter, remember what that verse said, verse 20, I think, scepter, all the authority and power of all the nations will come and worship him. The person who holds the scepter had all the authority. And he will be king of kings and he will be lord of lords for he was the lion of the tribe of Judah and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now, uh, back to Revelation, Revelation chapter 5 and if you look at verse 6 now, it says, And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns, seven eyes which are seven spirits of God sent out unto all unto all the earth. He's saying so he turned to look and this lion of Judah is now a lamb a lamb that had seven horns seven eyes which were seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. In God's economy a horn always means power and might. And now many, and how many horns does this lamb have? He has seven. And what the scripture says that is the perfect number is seven. It's perfection. 
And what the number of seven also means, it means completeness. He finished it all. And his perfect, he's perfect in power, the Lamb of God who is the Lion of Judah. And then it says the Lamb had seven eyes. Why? Because he's perfect in insight, he's perfect in wisdom, and he's perfect in understanding. That's what it means. And he had sevenfold spirit emanating from him, resting on him. What does that mean? Simply the Holy Spirit, which is referred to in other places as a sevenfold spirit of God given to the churches. So Jesus now is a lion, but he looks like a lamb slain. But he's perfect in power, perfect in wisdom, perfect in power of the Holy Spirit and of his life. And John now has a complete vision of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verses 7 and 8, he says, Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The Lamb comes and takes the scroll out of the Father's hand. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and the golden bowls are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now watch this. Notice he came. Not a thing came. You know, we've been, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, how Jesus lives to make intercession for you. Do you understand that Jesus is praying for you right now? Let me say that again. Do you understand that Jesus is praying for you right now? Do you understand he never ceases to pray for you? When you go home tonight and you get in your bed, Jesus is praying for you. When you get in your car and drive down the road, Jesus is praying for you. He never ceases to intercede for you. You know, Wednesday night we got a small group of people come. I wish this whole place would be here on Wednesday night because what power there is when Christian people begin to intercede for other people. We begin to pray. When I realize that Jesus intercedes for me over and over again, 24-7, all the time, day after day, month after month, whenever it is, and I look at my life and I think, what a poor example I am. Because I don't pray for my kids that way. I wish I did. I don't pray for my wife that way. I don't pray for you as a pastor. I don't pray for you like I should. I pray for you, but not like Jesus does. That he intercedes for us in such a way that he's praying for us all, all the time. And, and so as, as Jesus now is a lion who looks like a lamb, and, and it, it's, it's a person, not a thing. And I read over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, Little children, he calls you little children, Sin not. He says, but if you do sin, you have an advocate in the Father in Christ Jesus. He is our advocate. He intercedes. And in the Bible, it leads to these two words, for us. For us. Oh, he's at the right hand of God, and he's there for one reason, for you and for me. And, 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 but he came. He came. Let me connect the dots for you. In the most ancient of texts, all the way back to Moses, the people of God were in bondage in Egypt. They cried out to God, and God heard their prayer, and they, he sent Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh didn't want to let all those millions of people to go, and there were millions of people. I think I got problems sometimes. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to have been in Moses' place. So the Lord sent ten plagues on Egypt. But Pharaoh still wasn't moved until the last plague, the plague of death of the firstborn. And so God said to them, he said, the angel of death will come down tonight. Just like there's coming a time that the rapture is going to take place, the second coming will take place. 
And there'll be those times of those people who are so blunt and so irreverent with, with God and who spit in God's face and everything else. They're going to be crying for the rocks and the hills and the mountains to fall on them is exactly what's going to take place. They're going to realize they, they, they didn't do what they needed to do. They knew what they needed to do, and they didn't do it. And in your heart right now, you know whether or not you've come to Jesus or not. If you've not come to Jesus, then you need to come today. You don't wait. And so God said that angel of death is going to come down in that firstborn, and everyone in Egypt is going to die, the firstborn in every house. Even the firstborn of cattle and livestock. If your dog was the firstborn, he would die. Everything would die, the firstborn. Unless you do this one thing, there, there that word is again that we talk about, that Jesus says, I'm the way. In other words, there is no other way. There is no other way. People don't like that. But God says this. He said, unless you do this one thing, one thing, and, and said one thing, you've got to take the blood of, a, uh, blood of an innocent lamb and put it over the door of your home. They put it here and here like a cross uh, of your home. And so, and so uh, and on the sides of the doorpost in the morning, there was weeping all through the, the nation of Egypt. There was weeping. The family woke up to the reality of the loss of their firstborn son. And I'm telling you right now, there's coming a day that people are going to wake up to the reality that there are people that are gone. They're going to walk, they're going to go, I, I've, I've tried to call my son, I've tried to call my daughter, I can't get a hold of them. Well, go over to the house. Well, go over. I've been over to the house. I knocked on the door. I tried to talk to him. I tried to see him. Nobody's there. There's clothes laid all over the place. I, I've come to pick my kids up at school, and they're not there. I want to know where they are. Wait a minute. I went into that room, my hospital room down there, to get those people out of there and I, to minister to them. And when I went to take them on to surgery, they're not there. That's the reality that's coming. And so those people in Egypt that morning woke up to the reality that the firstborn in their home had died. But a family woke up in the reality of that, but every home with the blood over the door, the faithfulness of God rested on that home, and salvation had come to that home, so no son had died that night in that home. And salvation had come to that home. It was God's faithful promise to bring deliverance. And it was the trust of God's people and the hope of God. See, you know, there, there, there are three things that are needed for you to be saved. You need knowledge because the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There's your knowledge. You need conviction, so the Holy Spirit needs to convict you to come. So the Bible says without the, you know, if God doesn't call, we can't come. So you need, this is why you just can't get saved anytime you want to. It's when the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and saying, come on home, child. Come on home, child. There are going to be a lot of people when the rapture takes place going to fall on their knees and cry out and try to get saved. And it's not going to work. But he's asking you to come right now. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, he's saying come. And then the last thing has to be is commitment. God doesn't have any secret agent Christians. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you have never been open and tell, let other people know, I'm standing for Jesus Christ. If he who confesses me before men, I will confess him before the Father. 
you got to make a commitment. But it was God's faithful promise to bring, bring deliverance, and it was the trust of the people and the hope of God, and He's going to do the very same thing with us. And that symbol was a symbol celebrated every year that after for decades and centuries called the Passover, which is still celebrated by the Jewish friends today, even though they've got a veil over their face. So when Jesus came on the scene in John's gospel, he was introduced not as, look, it's God's creator of the universe. Nobody said that. Or look, it's God, the third party of the Trinity. Nobody said that. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, they didn't say that. Or look, it's Almighty, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. No, they did not say that. No, when John saw Jesus coming, John's already out there baptizing. And the reason John's out there baptizing, one of the reasons, he's preparing the way for Jesus to come. But he's also, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit made him jump in his belly. Uh, he was jumped in his mother's belly when, when Mary went to see Elizabeth. And he's close, so he knew who he was. But the, Bible, the, the Holy Spirit has also revealed to him. He said, the one that you baptize, that the Holy Spirit comes down and stays on, that's the one, that's the one that is, that is, is, is the Messiah. And so John's out there dunking people like crazy. And he's dunking one. He's like, no, you're not him. You move on. Nope, you're not him. And he's just dunking people like crazy. Because why? He's looking for the Spirit. And when he sees Jesus and he sees him coming, and he knows that the Spirit is on him, he, he doesn't say, look, King of kings, Lord. No, he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of this world. The Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up and they, they saw the Holy Spirit descending down. They heard the voice of God. Peter says this. He says, he says what a great thing that was. He said, we saw this and so the, Jesus descending down like a dove and, and heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So when he saw him coming... He's, he's baptizing and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of this world. So when Jesus comes into public ministry for the last three years of his life, the announcement of that was, He is the final Lamb of God. Do you get it? They've been offering lambs all this time. It's unbelievable how much blood they shed. You remember, you remember when, when David wanted to move the ark? I know I'm over time. Uh, when David wanted to move the ark, and when he wanted to move the ark, he loaded it up on an ox cart, and guess what happened? One of the guys, who started, an oxen stumbled, so he reached up there and stayed there, and God killed him. David got angry. He left the ark at the guy's house, and the guy was getting blessed like crazy. And so, Because Saul hadn't, didn't want to move it. He'd let it sit down there for 20-something years. So David wants to move it to Jerusalem. Finally, he picks up the word, and he reads where it's only the Levites that can carry the ark, and they got these rods that go through it. To carry, and so they're doing it. But guess what? Almost, they, uh, I've read where theologians say that every six foot, every six foot, David offered a bull. He slaughtered a bull. Can you imagine all the way to Jerusalem how bloody that was? And for all these centuries, they had been offering lamb after lamb after lamb that was there to take away, that was just only something that looked to the time when Jesus was come. But Jesus, guess what he is? He is the final lamb. And when he bowed his head on Calvary and he said, it is finished, that's exactly what he was saying. I am. I am that final 
I am that final lamb. I am that final sacrifice. And so, on that final night, he broke bread that, in the, uh, that night when he was with the disciples, and he lifts up that cup, and he says, this is a new agreement with God. The old system of day after day and year after year and time after time and lamb after lamb and sacrifice and sacrifice is ending right here. It's ending. And the final sacrifice is this, my life for your life. Oh, listen to this, my life for your life. My life for your life will be made. And so the Lamb of God was the most precious idea and the mindset of the Jewish person in this moment. And so when he came to Revelation, we don't leave all that in the past. We don't go, you know, who, you, you know we, we don't go, no, you, we don't go, you know, you died. And that was way back when. It doesn't mean anything to us now. You gave your life on the cross, but that's over now and you're risen now. You're reigning now. No, he was announced as the as he is worthy because he triumphed as the line of the tribe of Judah. But everything else described about him in Revelation 5 was predicated on the same saving work that he did by giving his life as a substitute for yours and mine uh, and the Lamb of God. In, Ro and in Revelation 8, verse 9, 5 of there it says, And when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down, uh, and before the Lamb, having, have, having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open the seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and the people and nation. Uh, uh, people and nation. Verse 9 simply says, How many know this morning? that you're purchased back for God by the blood of Jesus Christ. So with His blood, He purchased men and women for God. Verse 9, heaven is a multicultural diverse out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They sang a new song. That's why the song is the greatest song ever to be sung. It's a celebration of the worthy one that on every corner of the planet Earth. And then I read this in verse 10 and verse, uh, verse 10 and he made us king, and he made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. And the verse eleven. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. He's a living creature, and elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand uh, of thousands, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and the strength and honor and glory and blessings." Loud voices. They were full, loud voices. They were adoring the line of the tribe of Judah. And I want this morning, here's what I want to say. Worthy, I want you to read this with me. Put that up there, uh, verse 12. I want you to read this, and, but I want you to notice something here. They read that with a loud voice. Read this with me. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Amen? Amen. Now, you weren't loud enough. Let's do it again. And with worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and the glory of God. Amen and amen. It's not about music or about the song. Worship is always about Jesus. 
Worship is always the byproduct of seeing the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all Jesus, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And verse 13, 14 says, What does that mean to you? Is Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah? First, the Lamb, it means you, uh, the system is over and the Savior has arrived. In other words, there's no more working it out with God. It's been worked out finally. And you're going to get what you want to go with God by working your way through religious systems? No. Are you going to get there by embracing the finished work of a Savior who is the Lamb of God? Yes. Second thing, you can't take the weight off your sho- You can now take the weight off your shoulders of ever trying to be perfect before God. So the one who was good enough for God covered you with his blood to make you and me who couldn't be good enough for God, good enough for God, in the one who was good enough for us. And you know what? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Revelation 13, 8 says this, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, whose names have not been written. And all will worship him. There's coming a time that everyone will fall down and worship him. Before you were born, Christ died for your sin. Let me finish this up here. Before you were died, Christ died for your sin. Before you ever knew your own capacity to disappoint yourself and God and others, Christ died for your sins. God knew your capacity to disappoint yourself, your capacity to disappoint himself and disappoint others. Christ died for you. You can't say, any, and nobody is looking out for me. You can't say that. Nope, that's off the table. Before you ever knew how far you could sink, the lamb shed of a lion's blood, a kid's ransom for you. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. I cap it off with that. And because this is what he's done. And one of these days I want you to think about this. What a day that will be when we stand in his presence. I had a little taste of, I think, just a small smattering of a taste of it. I never will forget, I went to a promise Promise Keepers meeting, and, and I don't know whether some of you guys were there or not, but I went to Promise Keepers meeting years ago in Charles, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where the racetrack was. That's exactly where hottest day I've ever spent my life on there. But I never will forget, 70,000 men were there, and they sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. Boy, you talk about making the hair stand up on the back of your head. They singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And here's 70,000 men at the top of their lungs singing that. That's what a little taste of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. What it's going to be like. Oh, my friend, I just beg and plead with you. If you don't know Jesus, if there's never been a time in your life that you've come to Christ, I pray that you'll come this morning. If not, you know, do it for your family. Realize that you're going to leave people behind one of these days. And they're going to be left standing waiting to know. Oh, I want you to come. I want everybody in this room to know that they, the salvation is free and you can be saved. Oh, if you'll just come. That's what I pray for this morning. And so we're going to sing a verse.